Welcome to the What the Data podcast with your hosts, Mitch and Leo. Hello, hello to all data lovers. I hope you are all healthy and safe at home. And here is another episode of What the Data podcast. If you like it, subscribe to it. And one more thing before we start, we are taking now questions from our guests. So if you are interested in it, there is a link in the, in the information that you can submit your voicemail to us, and we're going to make sure to answer it on the show. Hello, Mitch. How are you? Hey, Leo. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, thanks for, for doing this big introduction. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty impressed now, and I can't wait for the questions to come in. Yeah, I, I took a little bit of a time off, and then, you know, we, we had uh, separate episodes with the interviews. But I'm super happy to do another one of the classic episodes. Yeah, it's, it's been like, uh, it's quite nice when we're doing it together, right? Yes. And you know what? My neighbors told me they will finish their kitchen this week. Oh, really? Yes. Finally. <laughs> Just in time for winter. Yeah. So they will actually, you know, they will be able to, to, to prepare their Christmas uh, dinner in their new kitchen. I'm really, I'm really happy for them. Are you joining them? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I, to be honest, I've like, you know, started to quietly hate them over the last few months. Oh no, that's bad. Like it's not really their fault, I think. But uh, yeah, every time I see them, I think of you know all the podcast episodes that were ruined, all the work meetings where I had to apologize for someone drilling in the background. <laughs> but um, yeah, it looks like it's finally over. Great. So today we're going to talk about data sources and how the hell do you get your data into your warehouse or data lake? Or whatever else you want to save it as, right? Yeah, that's that's a really, really cool point. Because when you suggested to talk about this one topic, I had no idea what it means. Because, you know, if you ask a fish about water, he's not going to have a lot of opinion on it. So I didn't, <laughs> I di- I didn't even know what that was supposed to be about. You know, how do you get the data? What is the data source and so on? But then I thought about it and realized, yeah, sure. You know, data is a super weird kind of abstract term that could mean anything or nothing at all. And I think it really makes sense to just kind of try to get the basics down and just kind of agree on, on, on some definitions and maybe even, you know, tell some people who are not quite sure what all that means to just help them a little bit. So what is a data source? What, how you will define a data source by you? Yeah. Of course, you could just, you know, do this kind of philosophical thing of saying like everything that produces information is a data source. But yeah, that, that's lame. So I think in our, in our case, it's more about the idea that there are certain um, places that have data. So for example, um, Google Analytics would collect information about your users and then it would be stored somewhere. So the storage would become your data source. Or for example, when you run your campaigns on, uh, on Facebook, then Facebook would collect information. You know, how many impressions did you have? How much money did you spend? And now they would also be a data source for you. So Essentially, the thing that most people would then do in, a, let's say, like a non, non-data professionals, but just general practitioners, they would just go to web interfaces and then look at the data that's in there. You know, I looked at my Google Analytics numbers, the curves went upwards, so that's probably good. Um, I looked into my uh, Facebook ads manager and I saw the money that was going out. So this is kind of looking at the, at the data on a web interface is one way to consume a data source. But it's not the only way, and it's usually not what we talk about when we talk about data sources, right? Yes. But, but, you know, for me, data sources are a little bit different, I would say, because I think the data source is any data 
that is relevant for you doing your job, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have some Excel sheet that you are using for a match table, I think it can qualify it as a data source as well. Yeah. But is it by your definition as well or? Yeah, good point. Of course. Like it's not just a third party. It's just also things that you have saved that you have written down things that your customers have told you. Essentially, I just meant everything that's kind of digital and that is consumable, you know, in, in a certain format. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I completely forgot about this, even though like at my current company, we work a lot, for example, with qualitative data, with surveys, for example. All of these are sources, of course. Sure. And then basically what, we, what we're doing usually, and this is, this is from my experience with a lot of companies that I talk to, we define data sources. So this is, I think, one of the most important parts. What are we finding as a source of data that actually is relevant for us? So if it's a Facebook advertisement or if it's a Google Analytics, but I think that a lot of people are stopping at this stage and they're just downloading some CSV files, but actually the reality should be different, right? We need to try to somehow connect it together and make sense out of the data? Yeah, sure. Like that's the the other issue we've been touching on a few times already. Normally, you know, you go to a website and then you look for the download button and then you throw it into a big Excel sheet and then you kind of try to do your reporting in this, which it makes sense. And it's, it's a tool that everyone knows how to use and it's kind of general, sure. But I mean, whenever data people talk, data people talk about this stuff, they think about storing it in, in a, not in one sheet on one computer, but storing it in a central place making it available to different kinds of access. Um, and that's, that's of course, the difference, right? So a CSV file that you download or an Excel sheet that you have, it's on your computer. You can throw a pivot table on it. You can you can do uh, sums and, and averages and so on and so forth. But at some point, what you would want to do, of course, is to create like a database. So something where all of the different data points are in there. You can cross-reference them and then you can also kind of combine them. So for example... You look at your Facebook costs and then your website conversions because Facebook, of course, only gives you their conversion counting and that may not be what you want. And so this is the point where suddenly joining stuff in Excel sheets, using VLOOKUPs and so on and so forth, all that is not really possible anymore, right? So maybe we can talk about how you're getting this data. What what do you need to do? Are you downloading a CSV and saving it on on your computer and then uploading it to some, I don't know, Google BigQuery or or some other aggregator solution? Or are you actually creating API connection? Mm-hmm. And what is actually an API connection? This is, I think, another question that a lot of people are asking themselves. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Like that's, that's, that's another important thing because technically what you would think about, um, so people talk about APIs a lot and, and that you, automation and all that stuff, marketing automation. What it really means is just the moment you open the, the Facebook ads manager or the Google ads manager, the website is just connecting to the original database that is underlying all that stuff. And the connection to the original database, that is the interface that you're talking about. That's the API in the end. So there's a way for you to get the same data without having to go to the website interface. And that just happens usually in, by, by you writing a program or someone else writing a program for you that makes the connection to the underlying Google or Facebook database and then pulls the report for you and then saves it to a place that is where, where you would want it, where you would need it. So it uploads it to your data warehouse maybe, or it uploads it to a, to a, a certain folder in, in the cloud that you may have set up. 
But the point is this, that you just kind of, you pull the report from the original source instead of going through the website. And there's like a lot more. So an API, a- API is basically a line of code. Uh, yeah. So technically it is an, an application programming interface. So it means it is just the, 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 the door. And then you write the code that goes through the door. That's kind of the thing. So the code is the connector to the API and the API is just kind of the, the access point, you know, the door that you go through. And then, of course, the next question is like, so how does the, the database know who you are and that it should give the data to you and not to someone else? And this is kind of where the, where you use these tokens. So a token is like on a subway, you put a coin uh, or a token into the turnstile and then you can go in. In this case, it's kind of the same. You know, you just kind of you use the token or the key or the secret. They have like different names. And then this kind of tells the, the, the door, okay, I will open for this kind of request but it will not open for someone else knocking and just trying to get in. Um, and so then the whole thing is just the program needs to find a way to properly open the door, you know, authenticate and then go through. And then the data comes. So usually people talk about APIs, you know, what they mean the API connectors, um, but that's kind of a thing. So the connector would then just all it does, it opens the door, picks up some information and then leaves. So if I understand correctly, we first we identify the data source, which is Facebook or Google or wherever we need to get the data from. Mm-hmm. Then we need to create some kind of a code that is written in Python or in some other language, right? That's supported by, by the data provider. Then we need to get these tokens, which are unique identifiers for you as, as a, as an organization that communicating with this service. Mm-hmm. And basically, by running the code, we're just going to collect the data and store it yeah. somewhere. That's 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 exactly right. So for the programming language or what kind of code you're using for this, it, it doesn't really matter because in the end, it's all built around an, something that is called a request. And you can send a request even without any code, just from your computer command line. Or you can tell your Python code to, to run the request, or you can use Java code, whatever. The thing that usually happens is that the, the, the sources, so Google, Facebook, they usually give you libraries that make this a little bit easier. So you use the library that's already kind of pre-built, you load it into your code, and then you kind of uh, collect the data in, in the way that you want. So um, technically, you wouldn't even need Python code for this. Technically, you could do this with other ways. But the more important thing is, of course, the code is almost the same most of the time. So it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense that a programmer would spend a lot of time on writing it. Um, that's why there are all these uh, providers nowadays who do that for you. And that's fine because there's nothing specific about your use case. It's always the same. You know, you want the report table and you want it to be available to you without having to go through the, through the interface. So... Let me let me ask you an interesting question. So, I, I'm, me and you, we're working with APIs for mm-hmm. a very long time, I would say, uh, and we saw many ways of of dealing with data. Uh, but what is the right moment that you actually need to build an API that downloading your data and storing it on a database? What mm-hmm. is the right moment from the investment? Because you need to invest here quite a lot, right? So it's not that you just go there and really getting one line of code and running it. It's much more complicated. Mm-hmm. What, what, from your perspective, what will be the right point to, to start thinking about getting an API connections to grab the data and store it somewhere? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like I made it, I might, may have made it uh, sound too easy. Of course, it's not just one line of code. There's, there's more to it. Um, so that's why usually it makes sense to buy this from a third party, but your marketing budget has to be big enough to, to warrant this expenditure, of course, or you have to have a, a big reporting effort that you're doing in the moment. You know, I keep bringing up the situation of where this marketing manager once told me that she spent like, I think two days or more per week on the weekly reporting. Um, that was clearly not sustainable, right? The week has five days. She spends two days on reporting. And the reason was that she had like different accounts on Facebook for different countries. And she would just download all of these CSV files. And then she would ask for a report of the website conversions. And then she would just somehow uh, combine this in one Excel sheet. Of course, this is clearly ridiculous. You could buy the solution from someone or you could have one of your developers look at it and spend maybe a week or two or three weeks on it. This becomes viable the moment your your marketing managers or other people in your company spend significant amounts of time on trying to create these reports. And that's for some companies that can be quite early in the process. Um, and some added value you have to think about as well as these APIs to the marketing channels. They are not just for reporting. You can also use them to manage your campaigns. So if you spend even more time on on these uh, on the implementation, you can even get it to a point where it optimizes your campaigns automatically. So there's more upsides to investing that time and that effort. So that's why I would suggest to do it actually pretty early in the process. So usually I'm into this approach of you starting to collect data from APIs, but you're starting it locally when you have a budget that is less than five thousand dollars or euros per month. Once you're increasing it to twenty thousand, then I think that this is the the time to start investing. And actually, then there are, I think, three options for you. Either you're developing a local code with your data analyst and you let him run it uh, locally and then using Python to run this entire aggregator to creating the dashboards. The second option that I see is tools like Funnel.io or Segment, which basically what they do, you give them your tokens and they, in your behalf, reaching out to your data sources, collecting the data and storing it. And then there is the third option, which is actually building your own infrastructure and then collecting all the data there in, in a semi-automatic or full automatic way on a daily basis. So you have all the data you need. What is, what is your opinion about these alternatives? Will you give a fourth one? Do you have anything else in your mind right now? No, I think that's, that's, that's a really good list that covers it pretty well. I mean, the point is, of course, if you want to, you can split those things out into more alternatives and so on. But I think for me, the most important point is that for, for a person like me, I would always want to go for option three of building, you know, my own infrastructure, trying to set it up, you know, with the most state of the art technology that is out there. But that's more own your data, basically. Yeah. But the part is, of course, one thing is because that is fun for me. And two is because it is also not a new project. You know, I've done things like this before. So I think there may be a fourth option, which is having an external provider who helps you, but they set the infrastructure up in such a way that you own it and you take it over. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good combination of those factors because nowadays there are ways to set up pretty cheap, pretty scalable infrastructure um, using cloud solutions and existing code building blocks, essentially. Um, it's just that you, as someone who starts over a from scratch may not always know how that works. And that's why I think there's like a good kind of compromise between having someone help you set it up and then you start to leverage the data. And the better you get, the more you understand it, 
the more you can use it and then in-house the process after some time. So I think that's, this may be a fourth option if there is one. What, what's your opinion on the, on the fourth option? Actually, I think when we're looking at it at the end of the day, and I think that we're going to record a, an episode very soon about owning your data, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, owning your data means that everything running locally on your server, you don't use third parties. You don't also use CSV files or any local machines that's going to run code for you. Everything running from a centralized place and is also maintained. So you're getting your data and you actually understand where it's coming from, if there are issues or not, and then you can transfer it. And I think that uh, this is something that when we're dealing with data sources, uh, it's really important to look at. And it's also really important to make sure that you're bringing somebody who has experience and can actually help you in setting it up because it's going to speed up the process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies that I talk to complaining about the fact that it's taking them sometimes six, eight, or even 12 months to collect the data, store it, and start using it, which is a very, very long time. And I think that the fourth option will be the fastest one unless you have really, really skilled uh, skilled engineers in your company that can take over. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like there's, there's this one story I think that we both know about, uh, but there's this, this guy who was in charge of a project like this, you know, of automating the marketing data collection. Um, it took him more than three years at his company to work on it. And then he was promoted to a different position. And they said it's because he has like three years of experience. But the point is he needed three years for it because he didn't know how it works. And now he got promoted to the next point where he was supposed to do it and he still didn't know how it worked. Um, and of course, these things kind of cause problems because someone who knows how this works can do it in a day and someone who doesn't can do it never. So, you know, that's, it makes a big difference. And um, yeah. that's that's kind of the, the interesting part about also then getting external help and trying to kind of uh, getting someone to, to, to fix that for you. Um, have, also, I think, hmm? I think that there is an issue with the tokens, right? There is, it's almost... So for a non-techie person, and even for a techie person, it's quite hard to obtain these tokens. And yeah. knowledge is the key here. If you have somebody who actually understands how to get these tokens, it can save you a lot of time. Yes. You know, we, we have this personal experience of, of trying to go through it and trying to help people get those tokens. And the issue is it sits at this weird point where you need to know the marketing systems to know where to get the tokens. But then the marketing manager who knows how these systems work doesn't have the ability to, for example, to, to, to make requests, to, to, to verify certain requests and then get the request tokens out and stuff like this. So if in a traditional situation where you have a marketing manager on one side and a programmer on the other side, none of those two would be able to do it, at least not in cases where you have to make double verifications and so on and so forth. And it's not that they intellectually are not able. It's just that it's, it's a corner case between those two profiles. And so just helping and just kind of uh, explaining to people is just a huge service just in itself. Yeah. So like you, you so probably... If, we, um, if we're looking... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, I was just uh, wondering if, if you want to elaborate a little bit on, on, the, on the token stuff. Yeah, so for my experience, because... So I'm working more as a product uh, manager at the end of the day as I see it. I think that one of the key components when we need to check an API and get the tokens right. It's to take the marketing person and the engineer and put them in the same room, one next to each other, 
so they can debug the problem while the marketeer knows the interface of Facebook or Google or, or whatever tool you're using and the engineers uh, knows the code and then they can together basically tackle it. And I think that if they if companies deciding actually to go by themselves and fight it and create the APIs in, on, in-house, the easiest solution will be actually to put these two functions, uh, the one that operating the the tool and the one that is building the API to actually work on it at the same time rather than wasting each other's time and being able to actually compare numbers at the end of the day, which is also something that is always a problem. Yeah, definitely agreed. Uh, also, the, the situation of essentially the problem is the programmers going to ask questions that the marketing person may find strange or not not properly understand and the other way around as well. So that's that's why having them in the same room is probably helpful. Also there's this thing about like um someone who works with the marketing interfaces a lot. The programmer could technically just say, okay, you give me access to your interface and I set it up for you and I will figure it out. That is definitely possible. The marketing person may have the feeling of like Oh no, I don't want you in that account messing with my campaigns potentially or, you know, causing trouble. The problem is what the marketing person who has this concern doesn't understand. The moment the programmer gets the token, they can potentially change all the campaigns and all the bids just from their programs. So (laughs) essentially the point is that someone who's not technical like this may confuse the interface with the access. The interface is just a website. You know, the access is the same for the API owner. So if you are worried about security and about your channels, you have to also be very smart about the rights that you give to the token owner um, or if you're worried about these things because this means the person with the token can do, in theory, can do whatever you can do as a marketing manager. Um, that's why, you know, ad tech was like the super hot thing that people wanted to do for a while, you know, building their own bidding algorithms and stuff because that is possible. So that's something you should keep in mind. Yeah. So finishing this episode, any last words before we saying goodbye to our listeners? Um, yeah, definitely. The one thing is a lot of marketing managers I've met have been struggling with reporting and collecting the data and CSV files and downloading them and wondering, like, does it really have to be this hard? And the answer is no. The point is you can collect the data source and collect it automatically, and it doesn't have to be this hard. And if you work in a company that has budgets that are bigger than five or 10,000 euros, you should definitely push someone to set that up for you. You know, no one should in the year 2020 still spend their time with this. So um, that's very important to just make it very clear to every marketer who's still struggling with this. How about you? Just don't get complicated with the tokens. I think that this is the biggest frustration that I am usually getting from the business functions is how the hell does the engineer expect me to understand what is a first off or second off and what the hell is a refresh token and how do I'm getting it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just don't get frustrated. Sit down with your engineer and understand exactly what he needs and how to, f- how to find it out. And don't be afraid to Google, but if you have a professional who can help you, I think it's easier. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one thing I, I, I want to add. If You know, you can always ask the engineer. He's going to be happy to explain it to you. He just doesn't think he has to because he doesn't know. That's all, you know, just always ask these kinds of questions that someone may not think he needs to explain. That's very important. Yes, agreed. 
So thank you very much. Thank you. And see you in the next episode. See you then. It was great talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye. And to our listeners, if you like this episode, subscribe and share it with your friends. And as mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we are taking questions from the audience. If you want to ask us anything, all you need to do is go to the more information about this episode and click on the link and you can send us a voicemail directly to us. And we're going to make sure to answer it on the show. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the What the Data podcast. 